on this segment today on the Stretch Takes podcast show, we're going to break down my new rankings for the top 10 NFL teams. We're going to break down James Harden and his fiasco. And, you know, I'm just going to give my basketball analysis of all of it. I'm going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. I'm going to talk about my New York Knicks and also explain about Giannis's max extension that he just got the super max, Paul George as well. And I'm also going to break down the Monday night football game that just happened between the Browns and the Ravens and all that's different stuff. All that is going to be coming up on today's episode of the Shrek takes podcast show. Welcome back to the show. I'm glad you guys can join us from wherever you are. And the things I'm going to break down are pretty simple. Let's break down just the stuff I want to talk about. Different stuff in the NBA, which I will get into later in the show. Start the show is going to be strictly NFL talk. And I'm going to talk about all the different stuff that's been going on within the NFL in terms of my new rankings, um, what I really think of the teams like the Bills and the Steelers, and other stuff like that. So I'm going to jump right into my rankings for you guys. Number one, let's go into the rankings I had last week. And this is, I'm going to give it to you right week For week 14, I had Chiefs, Saints, Steelers, Packers, Bills, Rams, Seahawks, Browns, Tampa Buccaneers, and Tennessee Titans. Okay? Now, that, 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 those rankings definitely changed a lot after what just happened last week. I'm still having the Chiefs at number one, despite the fact they did not play very well against Miami. Um, Patrick Mahomes threw three interceptions, but they still are the most talented team in football, and they have the best record right now in football. So right now, until someone proves to me that they can knock them off, I think I'm still going to leave them there just because I think that they are still way too talented, and they're still winning games despite the fact they're not playing great. The Packers... I have it number two. The Packers right now have an unstoppable offense. Aaron Rodgers is my pick for the MVP this year, and that's because of just all the numbers except for passing yards. He's better in completion percentage than Patrick Mahomes. He has the best QBR in the league, the most most touchdowns, the fewest interceptions, the best touchdown-interception ratio in the league. His team is 10-3 and with less weapons. I I think the Packers have explained themselves. Now, again, their biggest problem is their defense, but they did show the ability to stop the run. So they can continue to get better each week defensively. This can team can challenge them and the Saints, I think are the two best teams in the NFC. And, and I think the Rams are the third best team. I think that these teams, except about the Packers themselves can really make a push for the Super Bowl if their defense shows up when they need them to. And, and especially if they get home field advantage, which I think they will, they have a chance to really make a good run because I think for them, the key is home field advantage. Now at number three, I got the Buffalo Bills and that's going to sound like, oh, wow, you're just, you know, riding the hot streak of the Bills. You know, that look, the Bills have their problems as every team, but the Bills have been playing really, really well of late. They just, let's be honest, they, they demolished the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know the score didn't really reflect that. They, they beat them up pretty good in the second half. For basically the second quarter on, it was strictly Bills. And Josh Allen, despite the fact that he had a bad start, He's been getting better and he's been proving to do different, you know, better things week in, week, week in and week out. Now he does, again, he's not a guy I necessarily trust yet. I think he's, a, he's a, an elite quarterback, but I also think that he's not the top tier guy yet because I think he still has a tendency. 
to be a little turnover prone, make some careless decisions with the football. But their team as a whole, good running game. Their passing game has really gotten a lot better. Their defense is good. So they are a top three team. I think the way they're playing. Do I think you see them beating the Chiefs? Maybe, but um, they, 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 could, they have as great a possibility of beating the Chiefs as losing in round one of the playoffs, in my opinion, just because it all depends on how Josh Allen plays. If Josh Allen plays as well as he's been playing the last couple of weeks, then yeah, they can, they can challenge the Chiefs. But if he has been like what he was during that little skid they had in the portion of the season, then they could honestly lose to like a team like the Browns or the Colts in the first you know round of the playoffs, right? So that's where I kind of go with all that, with, with the Browns, sorry, not the Browns, the Bills, even though I still think they're a top three team because they just beat the Steelers, I think they are still a top three team. But again, they are flexible based on how Josh Allen plays. That's really their only falter. Number four, I have the Saints. The Saints took a big hit for me just because their loss to the Eagles, I think, really hurt them. Taysom Hill looks, again, a little bit anemic at quarterback, not saying that he doesn't have the potential to be good. But right now, you're looking at him. He's not as accurate with the football. He's not as great when they have to, they have to come back. And if you look at Josh Allen, sorry, if you look at Drew Brees, Drew Brees has the ability to be very accurate in football, even at his old age. And when they get him back, I think with that number one defense in the NFL, they have the potential to win the NFC. Now that depends if Drew Brees is what he once was early in the season. But I think they're gonna, I think they have a chance to beat the Chiefs this weekend. I don't think they will. But they, they definitely have a very, very good chance. And I think that their defense is good enough. It's all going to depend on if Taysom Hill can play decent enough at quarterback till Drew Brees comes back. This team's the best team in the NFC. But if their offense continues to falter and struggle and they don't get home field advantage, I think even despite the fact that their defense is so electric, they need that home field advantage because it's so hard to play at Lambeau Field. You don't want that for them. Right now, they're a step below the Packers just based on that loss they just had to the Eagles. The, the Packers blew the brakes off the Eagles Oh, just a week before. Number five, I have the Pittsburgh's – I'm sorry, I have the Rams at five. Now, you say, why did Pittsburgh slide from three to, low, to lower than five? Why aren't they in the top five anymore? Well, I think the Rams are simply better. The Rams last week played better. They're playing, you know, they're playing better. They're four and one in their last five games. Jared Goff, even though despite the fact he was turning the ball over a lot, they are still finding ways to win games. And he, and again, he manages, he's a game manager, a good game manager. And, they have, and if they're running games on point, again, you know, they, their defense is so elite that you can't really score against them because you have, you can't make any mistakes. And New England's offense is not that good. And that's why the Rams, in my opinion, can be the, the dark horse to win a Super Bowl. And that's because you have your favorites, right? The favorites are like the Chiefs, the Saints, the Packers. Probably the Bills now are in there, but the, the dark horse is the Los Angeles Rams because of their defense. And if Jared, Jared Goff had the same thing as um, Josh Allen, Josh Allen's better than Jared Goff, I think, by a, a good amount right now. But Jared Goff, when he can play pretty well, this team can be really, really hard to beat because all they need to do is put a decent amount of points up on the board because their defense is not going to allow a lot of points. And that's really where I go with that. Six is the Steelers, and that's because the last two games they've looked very bad and it's exactly what I've said when I watched the Steelers play when I ranked them at two originally. The Steelers' big problem is Big Ben and their running game, right? They have no semblance of a running game at all. And I know Pittsburgh fans are going to probably be angry at that, but they don't have a running game. They have no running game this year. Since the early part of the season, they have no running game. And also, Big Ben has been turning the football over. And exactly as I've stated, the problem with them is Big Ben turning the football over. They're not going to win games 
as high as games, not because Big Ben isn't clocked, not because he isn't a great quarterback, but you're asking a nearly 40-year-old quarterback to throw the ball 40 to 50 times a game, that gives a lot of opportunity for turnovers and a lot of opportunity for error. And that has been shown the last two weeks to be the case. And look, can Pittsburgh turn around? Sure, they definitely could turn around. But they don't look as impressive as they did, you know, the first early part of the season. And I think it's just because, again, they lost sort of their identity in the offensive end. Seven is the Seahawks. The Seahawks do not change based on the fact they just beat the Jets. Anyone can beat the Jets. The Jets are terrible, okay? You know, as shown by their horrible play calling by their former defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, of blitzing on a final play against the Raiders, right? The Jets are just terrible, right? They're terrible. The Seahawks still have their issues, right? They don't have, they have a terrible defense, and Russell Wilson can be turnover prone at times too, right? Even though he's a great quarterback, even though he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, it's just it's just how, who they are, right? They lost the Giants because they don't have the, the flexibility necessarily to always win if Russell Wilson's under pressure because Russell Wilson does rely a little bit more on pocket passing than maybe um, a guy like Kyler Murray did, right? But their big problem is, again, they, they put a lot of emphasis on Russell Wilson to deliver every single game. It's like Big Ben, and that's a problem. If you don't have the right offensive schemes, it sometimes doesn't work. Just because you have the weapons does not mean it's going to always work out, right? And he's getting pressured more and that kind of stuff. So the Seahawks are a very good team, but their defense and I think their questionable decision-making in the offensive end pushes them down to seven. Now, number eight, I get the Tennessee Titans. I think just because, look, they, they beat the brakes off the Jaguars, right? Derrick Henry is having one of the best years any player has ever had. And in terms of running the football, he, he ran for over 200 yards against the Jaguars. He's unbelievable. You know, he's definitely a top three MVP candidate. He, you know, he could be pushing for number two at this point, the way he's been playing. And that's where how I feel. Their team lives in, because Ryan Taylor is not making many mistakes. Their defense is still suspect, but their running game is so good. They can control the pace, control the clock. And that's why they are number eight on my list. Number nine is the Indianapolis Colts. The Indianapolis Colts destroyed the Los Angeles, sorry, Las Vegas Raiders, 44 to 27. They look better and better each week. They have a good defense. They have a, you know, a pretty good running game. Phil Rivers is playing pretty well. The Colts are number nine on my list. Number 10, this is going to be a little surprising, even though they lost to Monday night, is still the Cleveland Browns. Why are the Cleveland Browns number 10 on my list? Because Baker Mayfield has proven more. He's, he's performed really well the last two weeks. Their running game has still been on solid. Now, their defense needs to be a little bit better, but they do look like a playoff team. Now, why are the Buccaneers not in that? Because the Buccaneers looked not, not impressive against the okay Minnesota Vikings, right? If Dan Bailey knew how to kick a field goal correctly that, that game, I'm not saying he doesn't know how to kick a field goal, but if he knew how to kick a field goal correctly that game and just didn't have an off day, that we would be talking about them much differently today. They, they, they don't still look that impressive to me. Um, and that's just where I put them. They're, they're down the list. So that's my top 10 rankings. Now, I also want to talk about the Monday Night Football game that I watched. Now, let, let's the thing I'm going to talk about the Browns is simple with this, right? Lamar Jackson played great. So did Baker Mayfield, right? Arguing which one was more impressive, that's not what I'm really here to do. I'm just saying, stating on what happened, right? Basically, right, 47 to 42, big lead by the uh, Ravens in the second half. Baker Mayfield comes back and makes it a game. Lamar Jackson gets cramps, comes back and throws a 44-yard touchdown. But let's just take all that into account. Baker Mayfield played unbelievable in the second half of throwing that interception. 
Lamar Jackson was great with his legs. And again, Lamar Jackson proved again why he's so special as a running quarterback, right? And I think, you know, that's just the one thing about him. He's a special athlete, a once-in-a-generation type athlete. If he can throw for more yards, he could be, honestly, the best quarterback in football. But it's just, he, he, again, he doesn't throw for enough yards. But he was good enough and sensational enough for them to win that game, even though Baker Mayfield probably had his best game of the season against, in, the, in terms of the second half, against the Ravens. So both teams are really good. The Ravens are still, I think, on the outside looking in right now. And we'll see what happens with them. But if they continue to play like that, they can definitely get in the playoffs and make some noise because I think of just the potential they have on the offensive end. That's where I go with that. The Eagles, okay, now this is, this is where I, I, I get a little annoyed. I'm a Giants fan, right? But I'm taking bias completely out of this, right? The reason I, I'm sick and tired of hearing about the Eagles is because the same thing every week. Oh, what about Carson Wentz? Oh, Carson Wentz this. Oh, Carson Wentz that. Now it's tough because Carson Wentz was a good quarterback in 2019, and he's horrible this year, right? But I've stated that before, right? Jalen Hurts played great, right? You start Jalen Hurts now. You forget about Carson Wentz. You trade him to somewhere else because it's not going to work out anymore, unfortunately. And I want, I want Carson Wentz to be successful somewhere else, right? He's, I think he has a lot of potential to be a good quarterback, but he's not good this year, and the Eagles need to change. Now, is Jalen Hurts the quarterback of the future? I don't know that necessarily, but he looks really good against the, one of the, the best defense in the NFL, and, you know, you roll with that until it, it turns into something worse. Now, if the Cardinals, he can't come out like the Giants did. they got to come out with some sort of urgency. They have to come out with the same thing they did, the same kind of play calling, right? It can't just be they play up for one team and then down for another, right? And I think that, you know, with Jalen Hurts, hopefully they can do that. That's all I'm going to say on the Eagles because I'm kind of tired of the Carson Wentz talk. On the next segment of the show, I will be talking about James Harden, the Brooklyn Nets, and others, and Giannis Antetokounmpo and Paul George's Supermax contracts to end, to end the show up. So stay tuned for that on the next segment of the show. Welcome back to the show. Now I'm going to break down a few things in the NBA. First, starting with James Harden. Okay. So here's what I want to say with James Harden. Okay. If you haven't had a chance to read an article by the ringer talking about player empowerment and the, and the, the cons of it, I encourage you to look that up because it's talking about James Harden. This is exactly getting to the point I want to bring up today. There were different reports today that the Rockets have catered their team around what James Harden wants and what he kind of desires within the organization, right? They put up with the fact that he's going out to clubs and all that kind of stuff. And for, for example, the fact that he's starting is mind boggling to me because of the fact that he wasn't at training camp. He was out partying in Atlanta and he claims he was with his trainer. Okay. Let's be honest there. He, I'm not sure, sure how much training he was. He looked out of shape to me when he came back. And I'm kind of sick and tired of him at this point because he, he abuses his power that, that the organization has given him. And it's ridiculous the fact that, you know, that they're looking to give him more power based on the fact that he hasn't won any championships. Every starter that he's played with has not wanted to play with him after more than two years. And that's just a problem with him. And he, and he gets whatever he wants. And there's no sense of accountability for why he's not playing the way he is and for all his actions off the court. Again, it's COVID. You shouldn't be going to a club with no mask on, right? It's just, that doesn't make sense. Either it's a birthday party, right? You should be wearing a mask being safe, right? You have NBA protocols you're following, right? They're going to make you do six COVID tests now and you'll be past them, but still, right? You, you, you need to have a, you know, 
better leadership role. And the problem is like, I know he doesn't want to be there, but like that just looks terrible to Steven Silas. He's trying to build a culture. And now he doesn't says he still doesn't want to play with John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins. It's just, again, it's, it's player empowerment at its best. And it's starting to get a lot of the media annoyed. And I think it's getting a lot of people annoyed because he's abusing the power that he was given by the Houston Rockets and was, and honestly was fortunate to guess. Right. And because then you see all these people now, like for example, sometimes there are like some arguments to the contrary to say, well, he averages so many points. You got to put up with this stuff. No, you don't. No, you don't. Unless he's going to win a championship for you, which he hasn't proven to be able to do as the best option. I don't really think you need to be putting up with all that kind of stuff. I really don't. Right. Like I, I'm for one, I'm not a guy who's looking to be put, putting up with Kyrie Irving's kind of stuff either, because I think it's tough on the coaches. I think it's tough on, you know, the media to be able to cover these stories accurately and to have to deal with the NBA nonsense of these players. I think that's tough and it, it is tough. And um, that's where I kind of go with that kind of stuff, because if you look at the team from a general standpoint, right. James Harden is a great offensive talent, but if you go out and not showing any sort of leadership role, you're, you're, you're trying to get whatever you want. You're complaining and you're not showing any sort of like, you know, initiative to want to win and help your team now. And all you want to do is get traded and you're holding a terrible example. Why do you deserve all the power you've been given in the first place? Also, he doesn't win, right? Let's, let, let's just go through the facts of what he's done since he's been in the playoffs, right? Let's go to uh, 2015 against Golden State. Horrible. Let's go against, let's go 2016 against the Spurs. Terrible. Let's go 2017, right? Against the Warriors. He had a chance to win two games without Chris Paul. Game six and game seven. Flat out terrible. Game seven, terrible, right? Pivotal game. They lost by a few points. He shot terrible. Let's look at 2018, right? Not very good in the first, he was good at maybe in one of the first four games. It's first five games, let's say. Right. And they had a chance to win game six and win, win game seven because KD went down. And what happened? Steph Curry outplayed him in game six, and the rest is history. That's that's the problem with James Harden, right? You're giving all this power to a guy that doesn't win, right? And you and, you, and then he take he abuses it by doing whatever he wants and, and, and complains by getting whatever he wants. Now, this is from reports. Maybe this, but this is I've seen this within the Rockets. They do whatever kind of he wants. But if he wants to go small ball, oh yeah, sure, we'll go small ball, right? And the message to the other players is, oh, you can do whatever you want, and there's no going to be no repercussions for your actions. Now, I don't know James Harden personally. I don't know what he's at, but I'm saying this is what the problem from the outside looking in is, right? And this is the problem with James Harden. There's no repercussions for what he's doing, right? Just six COVID tests, he should be fine. If you have, if you don't have a standard and you and you haven't had a chance to, you know, really kind of hold him accountable, that's a problem. Like Miami, you would never see this in Miami. LeBron James is held accountable all the time for his actions, right? Now LeBron's older, he's wiser, so he can hold himself and his teammates accountable. That's why you don't see a lot of problems with LeBron-led teams, right? And that's just gen- – and look, Miami, you don't see any problems there, right? And Dallas, you really don't see a lot of problems with Dallas either because they're run correctly. And that's kind of where I go with a lot of that stuff on James Harden. Now the Brooklyn Nets, right? Now everyone wants to get in that Kyrie Irving stuff. I've talked about Kyrie Irving enough, I think, on this show. Embarrassing the way off the court stuff. I think he just needs to say smarter things, Right. And just, you know, kind of just, you know, know what to say and what not to say it. Um, that's kind of feel there. But in terms of the team, first preseason game, they looked very good. And I think Katie and Kyrie are going to be fine. I think they're going to be one of the top teams in the East. I think that them, I think them and Miami are going to be the two top teams in the East. I think Brooklyn, I actually think Miami's going to get out of it, but Brooklyn has the most talent to win that entire conference, right? If they're all, if they're clicking at all cylinders, 
they should win. But I like Miami's team. I like their structure. I like their toughness. And I think there's just something with Kyrie and Katie that might not exactly work out. Not because they won't score a lot of points, not because they won't put incredible highlights up, but that's just basically where I think about the Brooklyn Nets. I think Steve Nash is going to do a good job. I, th- I don't think it's because of the coaching. I think it's just going to be, will these guys mesh correctly in big adverse situations? Because I think there will be some adversity playing their way. But don't, I'm saying don't count on Miami just because they're not as talented as Milwaukee and not as talented as Philadelphia and not as talented as Brooklyn. That's all I got to say there. Now, the last things I want to talk about are the super max deals for Giannis and Paul George. The differences, and I, and I want to explain why the Giannis deal is good for Milwaukee and it's good for the NBA and what the problems is with the Paul George deal. All right, so I'm going to break those down simply. Let's look at the Giannis deal, okay? The Giannis deal, right, he got five years, $228 million, right? That's a lot of money. And he deserves it because he's one of the top five best players in the game, despite the fact that he did not play very well in the playoffs last year. That's because of his skill sets, not because he, you know, doesn't show up to play and ready to play every night. He's got a really, you know, doggish mentality about him. He just doesn't have the skill set yet to be dominant yet. And I think that's hopefully something he'll change this year. But it's good for the NBA in this retrospect because now the, the league is balanced. If he went to Miami, if he went to some other team, the league would be shifted again. There wouldn't be as much of a balance in power. And also it's showing loyalty. It's showing the fact that he's cared about the family structure that Milwaukee has implemented for him. And the fact that he has faith that Milwaukee can actually uphold their their duty and, and help him win a championship. Now they got Drew Holiday, right? They got Bobby Porter's right? He's actually been playing pretty well, right? And they still have the rest of their, their squad from last year, minus Eric Bledsoe. But I think that they have a really good opportunity to do some great things. If Giannis shows an ability to hit a mid-range shot, to hit a three more consistently and to make free throws. Right now, it's that hasn't been the case so far in preseason. I have the first preseason game. I'm like, oh, look, he's, he's made some progress. Then he went over six from the free throw line. But he deserves every one of the, those monies. And again, as a player, you take that money. Absolutely. Right. I applaud him for that. I'm happy for him. You know, I, I, I like Giannis a lot as a player. And I think, you know, he, he represents a lot of toughness. And the fact that he's loyal to a team is a good thing. Right. I think that's good to have some sort of having faith in your franchise to hopefully win the next five years. And I'm glad that drama also is out of the way. Right. I think everyone is. Now let's look at Paul George and his Supermax contract. The problem with Paul George and his Supermax contract is the problem with just signing players to multiple deals, right? And this is not at all taking a shot at the NBA. It's just taking a shot at these players for getting these deals, right? When you sign up a player and you sign up that max deal, you're, you're betting on his future. And with Paul George, we already kind of know who he is. A great regular season player, a guy who's decent in the playoffs early in his career, and but recently in the last five years has not been very good, right? He was really bad last in the playoffs and he still hasn't been very good the years previous to that. Now it could have been a, me, you know, a mental problem. He said he had depression, anxiety going on, right? That's, that's fine, right? And I, I honestly, I, I under, that, that makes a lot of sense being down the bubble. So I, I'm going to believe him on that, of course. I'm not going to be one of these guys saying, oh, you know, you know, get over it. Like, I mean, like, the, like mental health issues are something you, that are serious, right? But the point I'm trying to make is that he's – He's not worth a super max contract because he hasn't produced. He hasn't produced when you needed him to. He's not a guy that you see getting better in the future. The reason why Giannis is worth a super max contract is because you see where he's better in the future. He has so much more potential that he can get better at. Now, if he actually lives up to that, that's different, right? But we know what Paul George is generally, right? Good regular season player, not good in the playoffs, right? He's a 
top. He's, a, he's an all-star, but not quite that superstar category. He's like right between star and superstar, right? And that's because of his postseason success. And he, he, he and Kawhi both did a very poor job in that Nuggets series in the second halves. But again, he's not worth that money because he hasn't produced anything. He hasn't gotten everything he's been at. They haven't really gotten over the hump. So he's not worth that money. But the Clippers put all their, their, their marbles into him. To, they sent away a lot of draft picks, a lot of players for him. So they have to invest in him in a sense, right? And, and as Paul George, you take the money, right? But I don't think he's worth it. And that's just, that's strictly based off his playoff success, right? And I think the Clippers are one of the most overtalked, overrated teams in the NBA. And I thought that last year. I thought originally when they beat the Lakers, I'm like, oh, this team's good. And then when I saw them first round of the playoffs, I'm like, this team's not going to beat the Lakers. And they didn't. They didn't even get to that point. And their team hasn't really gotten that marginally better. You saw the first preseason games. I said it's preseason, but how the Lakers are a lot better, in my opinion. And even if the Clippers beat the Lakers somehow this year, the media's going to go crazy over it. I'm not going to go crazy over it because I need to see postseason success. I know Paul George can produce in the regular season. What can he do in the postseason? I don't know, right? And I still think it's going to be minimal compared to what he did in the regular season. And that's why I don't think he's worth the Supermax contract. I appreciate you guys being on view for this show. I'm going to be back on Sunday with a guest, my NBA correspondent, Austin Lee. He'll be joining the podcast again. So stay tuned for that. And thank you guys so much for joining the program. You guys have a good one. Thank you.